Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to the Living Church Podcast. was I to know that a conversation on the art of Anglican preaching would take me to talking about T.D. Jakes and the Grateful Dead? Well, I guess when you're talking to the Reverend Jacob Smith, it is bound to happen at some point that you take one of these forays into the unknown. I certainly didn't bury the lead for today's episode. As you can tell, we are talking about the art and craft of preaching. We're thinking about beginners to the craft here, for sure. So listen up, seminarians, postulants, But we're also thinking about those who've been preaching for a long time, veteran, lay preachers, clergy, etc., and what it might take to get out of the rut of old habits, re-energize your imagination, even let yourself get a little nervous behind the pulpit once in a while, if you haven't felt that way in a long time. And what is a good sermon anyway? And how much does it really matter if the liturgy and the Eucharist take center stage? What can bad preaching do? And what does preaching have in common with stand-up comedy and a tennis match? Well, apart from tips for good preaching or better preaching, we've also got some edifying stories of embarrassing mistakes to learn from and forays into the realm of pop culture, as you've heard. We also survey a few other preaching styles throughout history that may not be familiar or even comfortable, but we can definitely learn from, from Jonathan Edwards to televangelists. Father Jacob was born on the Navajo Reservation and was raised in Yuma, Arizona. As an Episcopal priest, he initially served in the Diocese of San Diego, and he's been at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in New York City in various roles for 15 years. By the way, his wife, Melina, publishes a church curriculum for children you should totally check out called Storymakers. And in part of Jacob's free time, when he's not watching a favorite show and gleaning sermon illustrations, Jacob is lovingly working on the Same Old Song Preaching Podcast with fellow priest Aaron Zimmerman. And we'll provide a link to Storymakers and Same Old Song in the show notes today. Now, get out that moleskin journal and your favorite pen and join us as we make some insightful and fun notes on preaching. We hope you enjoy the conversation. 
are you Jacob or are you Jake? Because I am hearing mixed reports. Jake or Jacob. So my whole life I was called Jacob. And then I moved to New York. And all of a sudden people just started calling me Jake. And, you know, and I was like, oh, it's Jacob. But people still called me Jake. Um, you know why they call you Jake is because in New York, they don't have time to call you Jacob. Jacob, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. It's great to see you again. Well, it's great to be here. And I love uh, the Living Church. And it's a real honor to be on this podcast. Jacob, we're here today to talk about preaching. I am really excited about this conversation. I'm the daughter of a preacher, actually the daughter of two preachers who are also the children of preachers who are the children of preachers. Preaching is is in my DNA. Um, I would love to hear about your own journey into discovering a love for preaching and your own preaching gifts. Where did this, where did this get started? Well, I think it, uh, it began, uh, you know, when I was a little kid uh, in, you know, beginning in the fourth grade, I used to love to get up and like do uh, monologues in front of the class and, and make everybody laugh. And, uh, and so, um, and then I always enjoyed getting up and, you know, giving talks. I was in, you know, uh, student politics. But I think uh, really um, the uh, excitement of preaching and my love of it came out of um, actually being a pastor itself and uh, being engaged in pastoral ministry. And so, you know, whenever I talk to like a, 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 like a young clergy person, you know, and they always, oh, I'm a great preacher. I'm not very good at pastoral care. Um, you know, I always want to correct them and, and rewind that. And, you know, preaching actually comes out of pastoral care because uh, preaching uh, should be, if you will, um, an opportunity to deliver um, a message of of uh, healing and relief. And so um, my real passion for preaching came out of pastoral care and delivering a message of healing and relief to people uh, who've been struggling all week long. So what is good preaching and Mm -hmm. what difference does good preaching make? Preaching is the proclamation of uh, Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension. The mystery of faith, as we say in right to Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ has ascended, all for you. Uh, good preaching leaves no doubt that you have an advocate with the Father, and that advocate with the Father is Jesus Christ the righteous, and that he is forgiven your sins and is totally for you. And uh, what good preaching should do is it should leave the hearer knowing indeed that uh, Christ has forgiven them and that he's for them in every way. And so in that despite what they see, despite their circumstances, um, as uh, my former colleague Ben DeHart used to say, he's making a way where there appears to be no way. It seems by what you've said that there are many different ways to go about good preaching as long as this message gets through. How did you discover not just this love for preaching or even what the bullseye is, but the craft of preaching and how those little steps at becoming better in the process of communicating is actually communicating this thing that you've described. So how did you discover the craft? Can you walk me through that? I, I learned early on from um, from a great preacher, uh, Peter Moore, the very Reverend Dr. Peter Moore. Um, at first, you, um, you don't have a voice. 
uh, you have to find your voice. And uh, the way you uh, learn a voice and the way you learn the style and the craft, who you are as a speaker, the way you begin to hear your voice is by listening to other voices. And so early on, I became a student of preachers. I mean, I listened uh, to everyone from the great Pentecostals like T.D. Jakes to the good Reformed preacher like Tim Keller. And uh, and then even in our own tradition, like I remember uh, pillaging my sponsoring parish and their like tape ministries from back in the day. And so when I was in seminary, I would listen to like John Howe and I would listen to um, John Guest and all of these great evangelical preachers. And also um, uh, over in England as well, like we had stuff from John Stott's days. And so beginning to listen to this as well as other great communicators, including uh, comedians and watching their styles. And one of the comedians that shaped kind of the way I preach is, um, um, oh my gosh, he's slipping my mind now all of a sudden, uh, the redheaded Conan O'Brien, you know, and oh, yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of subtle self-deprecation. So I would say that um, uh, to new preachers, study the craft of preaching. And, uh, and then as those preachers and those voices work on you, soon you begin to find that you have your own voice. I'm really interested in, in your um, almost systematic way of, of looking at various denominations and, and traditions, Christian denominations and traditions. And it sounds like you were drawing different lessons from each. You mentioned Pentecostal, you mentioned Reformed, you mentioned Evangelical. Can you name three or four of these various traditions and just tell me what was it? What's What was a takeaway that you got from each one of those that now you're bringing to an Anglican context? Yeah. Well, I think um, the Reformed tradition, like the, the Presbyterian and the, uh, especially the Presbyterian and, the, and then the churches that emerged out of the Dutch uh, Reformation. What I really love about that style of preaching, if you look now, personally, it's a little long, but uh, they really, uh, they take on the text and they're able to pick apart the text and exegete the text properly. And so uh, what you find is, is you're giving people like, they're actually giving people um, biblical content, which I find uh, just is important, especially in a day and an age where people are losing the language of the Bible and have lost the big Mm. story. Um, And then what I love about the Pentecostal tradition, um, you know, you listen to some of these uh, great Pentecostal preachers, study them, uh, because what they are doing is, is they lay their heart on the table. Um, now, um, not o- now you can, you can, it can become almost like, uh, the passion becomes a distraction, but what they are able to do is that in their, uh, passion, they're able to almost make space. And if you notice like a great preacher, like T.D. Jakes, he's hitting to the most hurting person in that congregation. And he makes a space for the Holy spirit to move, which is really, um, kind of almost, I mean, if you look at the Pentecostals, they make preaching almost a sacramental act mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like god is meeting people in that word and um and so and i think all of this if i was to do this shorthand i mean the evangelical is the importance of the illustration you know the non-denominational sermons so taking these big ideas from scripture and you're not just listening to a commentary but now i'm relating it to something in the culture and making it culturally relevant where it speaks actually to the people as well oh yeah i can relate to that but you bring this all together and you tie it like um into you know the Uh, I think what makes like kind of the Episcopal tradition so amazing is that especially since 1979 with the with the 79 prayer book, 
and why that's so important is that it made uh, the sacraments something central. Um, but we can take all of these different things, you know, the, the, um, the exegesis of the scripture, the uh, making room for the spirit, the bringing in of the illustration, and tying that into the table, tying that into the font. Being able to tie that together into about 13 to 19 minutes is, um, is a real, real gem. But I think that that's what all of these different traditions really bring to the table. And uh, I think in the Episcopal Church and in the Anglican tradition, we have the opportunity to sew it all together into something very beautiful. So the Holy Spirit, let's say the Holy Spirit is present, is, is ministering to people through the sacraments, through the liturgy, but the sermon week by week mostly stinks or is not very effective. How does the sermon affect the rest of worship? What's the relationship between the sermon and the rest of worship? Well, the sermon is the one, the exposition of uh, at least one of the readings. <clears throat> and then so it's deeply connected in that regard. Uh, uh, but two, I mean, the sermon should also uh, draw people to the table to have a richer experience, you know, uh, because Christ Christ is actually meeting you present here. And so, you know, uh, uh, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. That is proclaimed out of the pulpit. And so um, I think uh, the two aren't necessarily distinct. They they work hand in hand. And really, if a, a sermon is good, it should, it should be sacramental in the sense that it reminds people of Christ present for them. I think that's something that sometimes can happen is one, bad preaching always flips and makes you the protagonist. So I always tell people, avoid the salad sermon. Uh, let us, let us, you know, it ends with what you're going to do. Oh, that's exhausting. Um, but it actually, one, in word, this is what Christ has done for you. And now we move towards the table. Um, uh, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which is shed for you. And so it is like a one-two punch of Christ here, present, right now, in your life, not just 2,000 years ago, but right now here in New York City, right now there in Dallas, Texas, right now there in Atlanta, or wherever they happen to be. But Christ is right there comforting them, forgiving them, and uh, saving them uh, in their midst. It reminds me something of the relationship between a menu and a really good waiter who's describing what you're about to eat, and then when the food is actually set in front of you. So there's a way in which oh, yeah. the actual proclamation can be its own appetizer. And it's not, it's, it's not the food itself. There is still the food yet to eat, which is why even after a great sermon, if it's a church where communion's not celebrated every week, I feel like, well, why did a third of the service just disappear? It feels like something's missing, but at the same time, yeah. If the uh, if the if the buildup, so to speak, is kind of crummy as a mature Christian or a mature person, you can deal with that. You can be mm -hmm. forgiving. You can understand things aren't perfect. That's fine. But it, it really does something to the imagination and, and really whets your appetite for the rest of um, for what's coming next. It can really light up your imagination. So what are some things that you dip into that help you to stay refreshed and lit up in your own imagination. I watch, I watch a lot of TV 
Um, you know, I see that as a spiritual discipline. Uh, and so I watch a, a lot of, you know, different shows and looking for uh, illustrations out of the culture. I mean, uh, and you, you think about what works for you and what speaks to you. Um, well, then that's authentic, you know, um, and that will speak to other people. I don't recommend anybody watch this show, but if you do, you know, do it for, for work. Uh, but the righteous do it for the Lord. Stones, I mean, in the midst of all of that uh, gauche, uh, just crassness. There are beautiful illustrations of grace, um, you know. Uh, so I would say all of those. So that's kind of what I'm listening to. The Dead, the Grateful Dead, really speak to me, um, and I listen to a lot of Grateful Dead. And um, and uh, you know, and there are sometimes illustrations found in there, but you got to find what speaks to you, um, and uh, make that a part almost of your devotional life. I hear you saying whatever you're attracted to, if it's um, you're, you're a podcast person or you're a science person or you're a film buff or yeah. you're a nature person, get out there and enjoy it for the purposes of enjoyment, but also for the purposes of, of expanding your imagination and learning. Approach it intentionally also and say, Lord, how would you, what would you like me to see here? What would you like me to learn here? Is there anything you'd like for me to bring to your people from this field trip that I'm taking into, you know, into Radiohead or Taylor Swift or the Smoky Mountains or, mm-hmm. or food, you know, or whatever it may be. And I think that's great. Two Episcopal preachers meet the lectionary, meet a lot of gospel meet a little bit of snark. If this sounds up your alley, tune into the Same Old Song podcast and get help with your sermon prep week to week with a podcast that's preacher tested. And so I've been told Thomas Cranmer approved. Join the Reverend Jacob Smith and the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman as they break down the lectionary texts for each coming Sunday with gospel insight, a few appropriate slash inappropriate cultural references, and a heart for the sufferer in the pew and pulpit. Just go to Apple Podcasts and search Same Old Song. So here's the perfect illustration of that. Here's a per- so I mean so I love to hike, and uh, one time I was um, hiking, and uh, I use this in a sermon as an illustration. But uh, I almost died one day hiking um, because I had a gi- I was going up this hill, and it was getting really steep, and uh, and I was breathing heavy, and there was this gargantuan, the biggest horsefly in the Catskills ever, was flying around my head, and the next thing I knew. It went down my throat and uh, I like could hear it and it went down the wrong tube and I could hear it buzzing in my head as I was like suffocating to death and like literally was going to die in the woods because of a fly. And, um, you know, and finally, like, I mean, by the grace of God, I coughed it up and then I swallowed it and it went down the right tube. And so but. In the moment, I use that as a powerful illustration of the distinction between uh, general revelation and special revelation. You know? hmm. And so, you know, general revelation tells you that nature's beautiful, but it won't tell you it's good because a horsefly can kill you out there. And that's why we need special revelation, which is revealed in his son, Jesus. And that's the gospel. And that's where I ended with the sermon. I don't know if I follow that 100%. I think I'd have to hear the sermon. But I was just thinking of there wasn't there wasn't a priest who swallowed a fly. I don't know why he swallowed a fly. I'm glad he didn't die. 
Uh, I was just I was distracted, <clears throat> but I'm sure the sermon illustration worked really well. I'm sure no, it, I'm good. sure it hit home. Obviously, none of us are perfect. OK, and being perfectionist about preaching has its has its limits. But how do you um, what are some of the common preaching mistakes that you see as someone who's really into the craft of preaching? Um yeah, I, I think I want to go there. And then maybe if there are a couple stories of mistakes that you've made and that you've learned from, I'd love to hear them. I think uh, the, mis- the, the, the typical mistakes, um, I have made them as well. Um, and so, but the first is, I think the first big mistake that a lot of preachers make is that um, they only have about 10 minutes worth of stuff to say, and they seem to need to say it in about 25 minutes. Um, you know, and so I would say that if you have 10 minutes worth of stuff to say, uh, say it in 10 minutes. To communicate effectively means sometimes from the pulpit to communicate effectively, your word has to hit like, um, uh, for lack of a better metaphor, like a bullet. It has to be sharp. And so, but we blunt it when we make our word way too long. Uh, The second thing, the big mistake that I think a lot of people make is that um, they make the hearer, the protagonist in the sermon. So therefore, at the end of the, the sermon becomes all about what you need to be doing. And it all becomes about life tips. And this is one of the reasons why I think people aren't going or why there's a major confusion between Christianity and the rest of the world is because, uh, you know, we've made uh, Christianity just another um, uh, uh, gathering of self-helpers. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, Oprah Winfrey is far more engaging than I am. But uh, Oprah Winfrey isn't delivering the goods, which is uh, that Christ has died for you, Christ is risen for you, and Christ will come again for you. That's what we have that's actually unique to say. I have a good friend uh, who's a priest, and he was learning to preach, and he learned to preach from a great preacher named Frank Limehouse. And I remember uh, his first sermon there, Frank called him in and was like, hey, this is amazing advice. Right here, this is more amazing advice. And right here, this is excellent advice. But what I haven't heard is the gospel. And so I'm going to come to you for advice. But if I want to hear about a Christian distinctive, uh, I've got to go somewhere else. I think I've made all of those mistakes. And, uh, and you really, especially the long sermon, when I first got out of seminary, I mean, I would like, you know, talk about Greek words and how they were used here and how they were used there. And it was, you know, it was extremely intellectual. But, uh, um, but you know, it wasn't hitting people to their heart. And I remember just by the end, people were like, let me out of here. And, uh, and I think over time, you know, it, it's got to it's gotta be... It's got to be a short word. It's got to punch. Uh, um, I forgot who said it, but they said, we're here to feed Christ's sheep, not as giraffes. Well, let's talk about that a little more. I'd love to discuss the art of contextualizing a sermon and knowing your people. So how do you get to know a place? You know, does stability, the practice of stability, stabilitas, staying in one place, that Benedictine idea, does that have something to do with it? Does longevity affect this? This is where pastoral care really, um, really um, 
is so crucial to preaching. You know, you can't be a preacher without being a pat. The two, like word and sacrament we were talking about in the middle of the program, are connected. Preaching and pastoral care are intricately connected. You know, you have to begin to know your congregation. You have to know your vestry. You have to know um, some of the people in your church and, and be with them. It's not, and, uh, that it's not this distant thing. It is, it is very incarnational. And, um, and I think this is why oftentimes while megachurches, there's a lot of people there, uh, it, there is a ton of transference growth in that area because nobody knows the person. They're way over here, distant. And so I would say the key to a real like long is stability, but, but uh, there is a stabilitas to the whole thing. But I think it is, um, it is kind of the, the, uh, the old like, uh, just the the bedside manner of being in people's homes and and uh, and having coffee with folks and listening to the the woman who's struggling like here in New York listening to the wife who's struggling with the fact that her husband you know is gone basically Tuesday to Saturday because he's a consultant with McKinsey and uh, you know and she's got two kids and trying to figure that out it's listening to the woman who lives alone in her apartment because her her husband died 15 years ago and uh, you know and she's just kind of and all of her kids in it, like they live in Vermont and are making cheese and uh, don't come down to see her it's about listening to uh, you know the 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 person who graduated from Wharton Business School, came to New York City, thought that they were going to be the top of their game, got here and realized they're on the 13th floor. And, you know, it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. uh, at all. And uh, there are, you know, 30 floors above them of more important people. And uh, where does the gospel speak to that? And so I think it is real good preaching comes out of real pastoral care and knowing where your people are at. And that is what it is to be a, fishers of, a fisher of people, as Jesus appoints Peter. That means you're a person who's actually genuinely interested in somebody, you mm-hmm. know, and so, uh, so a real preacher is a real pastor. So the more stories you hear, the wider that net can get as you're casting it on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's, that's a beautiful image. That is what it's all about. You've got you to gotta hear the people. You got to find your voice. And then it's about knowing when to use your voice, because ultimately you are being used through the power of the Holy Spirit to deliver the message of the forgiveness of sins to those who are in the congregation. A lot of this sounds like just honing instincts. There's not a moment you've ever arrived. I keep keep thinking of that new movie about Serena and Venus Williams. But there's Mm -hmm. this amazing scene where they're all moved to Florida and they're at camp and the coach is like, they've got to actually play in a match that, you know, they're, they're, they're great at the prize, but they got to start playing in matches. And when they first got out there on those, like the real courts, they got decimated because they didn't have the instincts of a game that all came, that all came later. And uh, those instincts come about by preaching. So as uh, one of my mentors used to say, Tom Phillips, he said, preach often and preach where you can. Even if it's uh, even if it's off the cuff, mm. and I think off the cuff is is a great way to get yourself in the game in a new way as well. I mean, trying something new, mm-hmm. like you said, putting that new thing into practice. Because when it comes to oh, I just saw the name of the movie, King Richard. So when you're playing a that's sport, it. that's another kind of performance as well, and you grow and you hone your instincts through taking risks 
and those come through actual performances. So if you haven't been nervous about preaching in a long time, <laughs> when you've had a little little tummy ache, little butterflies before getting up there behind the pulpit, maybe it's time for a new risk. Maybe it's time for a new um, um, a new style or to or to try preaching without without a manuscript or without notes. Try preaching. Mm. Uh, yeah. or give yourself a max, maybe try week, uh, you know, one hour, uh, you give yourself one hour on a certain week to prepare the sermon just to try it. Maybe that's not the regular thing you do, but you say one hour, I'm going to write my sermon and then that's it. I'm going to do other stuff for the rest of the week. Take my kids for ice cream. And, uh, then you get up there and you preach it. Maybe something early, <laughs> go to bed early. Maybe something super fresh and awesome happens. Maybe it bombs. Um, it just, it seems to me, I'm, I'm the kind of person that if, if I go for a long time and I haven't felt nervous about something, this is probably, this is probably something I need to talk to my therapist about, but if I don't feel nervous about something, I feel like something's wrong. Like there's not like, what's the edge that I'm looking over saying, nah, don't want to do that. And if there's not that edge somewhere, um, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's time to work. Maybe it's time to work a muscle. What have you learned about preaching in the pandemic? And I, I put a comma in my notes on this question so that the question reads, what have you learned about preaching in the pandemic? What have you learned? Not what have you learned about preaching in a pandemic? Because hopefully we won't often need advice for how to preach in a pandemic. But as the pandemic has been going on, what have you learned about preaching? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. And that is uh, one um one is that uh, the importance of talking about death, uh, especially here in New York City. I mean, I was looking at my books and, uh, you know, from 2019 to today, um, uh, and this isn't a cheap plug for stewardship, but I mean, you know, um, we lost over 40 people, 40 pledging units uh, to either death or to move. And, uh, and all of those things, whether it was an actual death or whether it was uh, somebody moving away, that was a loss of a relationship. So there was a death there. And how important it is that we as Christians use that word, death, um, you know, not passed away, not passed on, not passed. Pretty soon society will just say, Peh, you know, but I mean, it's like we're constantly cutting this out. And uh, what we need to do is we need to use that word death, uh, because the triumph of the gospel is the resurrection, and uh, that is our message. And so I would encourage people to do that. The other thing that I am seeing about preaching in a in a pandemic is how quickly people forget. And so there was a moment here in New York City last fall where, I mean, everything was opening up and things were quickly, you know, coming coming into play. And we were, you know, things were opening up and everybody was excited. And it was like the pandemic was for a brief moment, a distant memory. And then Omicron hit. And uh, so, uh, but uh, the point is, is how quickly people forgot um, how dependent we are on God and how finite life actually is. And, you know, and how we really desperately need a savior. And so uh, keeping those two things kind of uh, in my repertoire on a regular, um, a death is a reality and you and I need a savior is uh, really, um, I mean, it's really shown through in this pandemic. That's a thread that I've heard today is um, vulnerability. That's not a word that's come up, I don't think, but getting into the lives of those that you're 
preaching to, understanding where they are vulnerable, where their lives are bumping up against or rubbing up against death or the preview of what we will all experience, which is death, whether that's loneliness or loss or a job that's difficult or a boss who is a jerk or um, uh, a spiritual crisis, whatever it may be, getting into uh, the depths of this, getting into people's stories, understanding who the people are that you're talking to, widening that net, and then in that space, bringing in everything else that God has given you in your life that you're enjoying, that you're able to see with your eyes um, and hear with your ears and letting that marinate in order to bring a word of hope to people um, that doesn't begin with them and doesn't center on them and doesn't end with them, although it sweeps them up into it completely. And that's the that's yeah, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've been talking with the Reverend Jacob Smith. Thank you so much, Jacob, for being with us today and, and sharing what you've learned about preaching. Amber, thank you for having me. And uh, uh, just thank you for the opportunity. It's a great podcast and it's a, it's a great uh, magazine and a great organization. I'm proud to be a part of it. Thanks so much for tuning in today to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Speaking of the Institute, join us in Oklahoma City in September for a two-day conference specially tailored for clergy and seminarians who want to dive deeper into the Anglican tradition, the history, the theology, the poetry, the preaching. If you come, I'd love to meet you in person. It'll be a rich time of fellowship, learning, shared meals, and prayer. Right now, we have special discounts for early birds and students, very, very cheap for students. Check it out at tlci.livingchurch.org forward slash calendar, or click the link in the show notes to see the schedule and register. Circle back in two weeks. I will sit down to hear from Alessio Pecorario. He's the coordinator of the Security Task Force of the Vatican COVID-19 Commission. And I'll hear from him on the church's evolving role in some of the biggest issues of our time, including climate change, refugee crises, war, and national security. What can we learn from the Catholic Church in her concrete acts of hope in our time? Catch us then and listen with me. Until then, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.